When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Uh, let's uh, keep talking that with uh, one of our favourites here on the overnight crowd. It's Paul Dennett. He's an award-winning cricket podcaster as part of Cricket Daily and also Cricket Unfiltered, and he joins us on the overnight crowd. Uh, good evening to you, Paul. G'day, Hita. How you going? Yeah, good. Thank you, mate. Thanks so much for the time once again. Uh, day one, bit of rain about. The Aussies in early trouble, as uh, uh, we were talking about earlier. But uh, as, as has been the story of the summer, the English efforts faded. Travis Head reminded everyone of the quality he possesses with 101, and the Aussies finished on a total of six for 241. Yeah, wonderful day is cricket. Um, it's in spite of the rain and in spite of the, the really slow over rate, I, I think it's probably the the most I've enjoyed the cricket all summer. And the pitch looked green and looked absolutely horrendous, but it played really well. It, it produced some, plenty of runs, plenty of wickets. And, um, yeah, that, that innings from Travis Head, uh, he's, he's quickly becoming one of my very favourite players. So to come out, uh, you know, with Australia at 3 for 12 and to, to score 101 off 113 balls, that's just um, scintillating stuff. Uh, Manus Labuschagne played really well as well, as did Cameron Green. And, yeah, poor old England, looking like they had the, the game at their mercy. And I think it was Simon Kadic in commentary on SCN made the point that it's extraordinary that they had them at 3 for 12, and you blink your eyelids, and a, a, few, a few hours later, Joe Root is bowling his spin with a spread field and just trying to contain the damage. It's um, Yeah, poor old Root, he's probably sitting in his hotel room wondering what he's done wrong tonight. Well, we'll uh, run through those Aussie wickets. Uh, David Warner, a 22-ball duck. Uh, he's a little bit scratchy out there today for Dave. Uh, the, long, the lanky Ollie Robinson got him nicking off to Zach Crawley. Yes, and um, it's the, very much an un-David Warner-like innings. Um, he was playing, I suppose, sensibly. And it, the, the thing that I was so impressed with the Australians uh, was that after he fell and then Kawaja and Smith fell straight away after that, it was as though they really kind of said, OK, this is the sort of pitch where if we keep on playing this way, we will get bowled out for 80 and it's going to look ugly. So we've got to apply a bit of pressure back and take a little bit of um, a few risks. Now, it did coincide with when Stuart Broad and Ollie Robinson finished their spells. And I thought that the bowling of Mark Wood and Chris Wokes was, was really disappointing for England because um, they're better bowlers than that and they just sprayed it round a little bit too much. I'm not sure why England wouldn't have picked Jimmy Anderson. I know that he's 39 and he's played a, a fair few matches on the on the trot and Mike Atherton and Ian Botham were made, hinting that maybe he had a little bit of a, a slight niggling injury. But... Geez, I'd much rather him than Mark Wood on that pitch. And it was from that point on that Australia really just um, moved away with the game. 
Yeah, I've got questions about Jimmy Anderson uh, coming up later because you look at that green pitch and you just you think to yourself, Jimmy Anderson, but no, he doesn't get the look in, but we'll, we'll get to him. Uh, fresh off, Paul Kelly riding him a ditty. Usman Kawaja makes his way back to the top of the batting order, but unfortunately, he gets the call up uh, to the top on a green top. But them's the breaks with being a test opener, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I'm sure some people would have said, oh, well, um, why didn't they stick with Harris? But I think that it was the right thing to do. Uh, the way that he played in Sydney was, was magnificent and they had to bring Head back into the side. And we'll never know, but I think that Marcus Harris would also have struggled um, <laughs> left-hander um, on that pitch, as would <laughs> as would any opening batter. So, yeah, um, Kawaja getting the full, the full gamut of the emotions that Test cricket um, uh, gives you, as he's no doubt had many times before. Well, I was going to say, Paul, I've got a question here. Being mean, uh, if I ask, uh, what do you think Harris would have made on this pitch? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, maybe he would have um, had a little bit of luck and gone along the, the same route that, that Travis Head did. But I, I think, yeah, I think that he would have found it very difficult as well. And um, he might have got a similar score to Kawaja. Steve Smith, the second ball duck. Uh, unbelievable scenes which left the Aussies three for 12. Uh, also representing the first time in the 244 innings in which uh, both Warner and Smith had both turned out for their country that neither had contributed a run. That's a pretty decent run between the two. It certainly is. Um, you know, they're, they're two of the best players Australia's ever had, especially Smith's going to go down as one of the all-time greats. And Warner, you know, he still might if he could um, particularly find some form in England. And... Um, nudge his test average closer to 50, he might go down as, a, as an all-time great as well. So at that stage, as I was saying, it looked as though England were going to run right through Australia and that um, that it was the, the best, toss to, best toss of the series to win. And it felt very much like they were playing in, in England. And I thought, you know, Chris Wokes, uh, he's an absolute superman in England. And I don't know what's wrong with him when he comes down here. <laughs> Uh, Marnus Labashane, he's putting a late series effort in for the most embarrassing moment of the series, uh, trying to take the award from Rory Burns, who's the clubhouse leader. Do you reckon he walks back into the change room today and says, oh, I've got a good one out there? I certainly think he did, because he's just tweeted that. Um, oh, really? He's, um, yeah, he's just become um, quite active on Twitter. and It's like someone he said is. to him, you know, you should get your, your Twitter game up. So, he's um, yeah, he just tweeted, how'd you go today? Yeah, just got a good one. Oh. And he's got a, a photo of... <laughs> Put himself in the most unflattering there position. There he is. The ball cannoning into the middle. Oh, so it's an inspired tweet. He only sent the tweet out um, less than an hour ago. And it's already had 12,000 likes. Um, <laughs> so it's... Um, it's doing great business. It's a very clever tweet. I love it. But he, his innings before that point um, was... Do, do you think he was the one that took the ascendancy or do you think Travis Head was the one that sort of you know grabbed the rope and was like, come on, boys, we need to fight back from here? Because when the two got together, it was a fantastic partnership. Yeah, I heard Travis Head interviewed, and he was kind of, um, uh, it was a little bit more kind of prosaic than that. They both sort of said, let's just uh, play good shots and, and move into good areas and try to rotate the strikers. <laughs> Whenever you're looking for an insight from cricketers, they, they sometimes um, <laughs> tend to, to, to stick to the cliches. But that's why they're so good, I think, that they, um, they, they don't muck around with, with um, too much flowery language. But um, the, the strange thing about Labashane was that so, so much this se- season he has been more than content to just wait for the bad balls he was completely the other way he, he um swatted one from wokes uh, to to the mid-wicket boundary for four um he advanced down the wicket to, at, at one stage to broad and sort of backed away and almost tried to clobber him and it was a very unmanaged labashain um sort of uh, innings but very very good i mean a, a a nice little 40 on that sort of pitch uh, is probably worth double that so even though yeah, we're all going to get a great deal of enjoyment out of his uh, <laughs> dismissal, 
um, the, you know, the actual innings itself was pretty classy. I mean, uh, Travis Head, respectfully, um, we should have got everyone a mid-season break. Uh, if this was what we can expect on return, 101, but uh, he was playing on a different pitch to everyone else from what we saw earlier in the morning. Absolutely, and um, it was just the, the, the crispness, of, crispness of his strokes and his intent. And it kind of um, it really threw the English bowlers um, off their scent completely that I've been critical of them in the past for being a little bit uh, defensive in their bowling and bowling too many balls in that sort of fifth stump line, maybe to play it, that you get a play and miss and it looks good, but it doesn't get the wicket. They would have at least been better off doing that this time. You know, at least it might have um, slowed the scoring rate down. They, they seem to... Um, feed his powerful shots outside off stump. They had a, a stacked offside field, but kept on feeding them to him, and he, he kept on putting them away. So, uh, yeah, extraordinary um, making of, of the cricketer this summer. I mean, um, ask me three or four months ago what I thought of Travis Head. I'd say very decent cricketer. And I did say that I thought he had a, a chance of, of really making something at test level, but I was very ambivalent about it. Now, um, you know, he's just about the first player I'd pick, and I'm really excited what he might do in the subcontinent, it's going to be uh, really interesting to see if he can carry this uh, aggressive mindset into, into playing over there. And I was listening to Alex Doolan in commentary today, and he was saying that this is what he's seen so many times at Sheffield Shield level of head just going out there and dominating. And he's been given the freedom to do that at test level, and it's uh, it's glorious to see. Yeah, Jules was uh, fantastic in uh, commentary as well with uh, what I heard of him as well. But uh, I think what catches everyone off guard is Travis Head's only 28. I think everyone's looking at him as if he's 31, 32, but he still has those two or three years where he can really establish himself now and go big, basically. Yeah, Greg Chappell's always said that the four peak years of your career as a batter are from 28 to 32, that you've kind of got your game pretty much worked out by then and your eyesight's still grey and your reflexes are fine and then you've got that four years to, to really capitalise. And you could probably add a couple of years on towards the end of it. So it's potentially extremely exciting as to what he can do um, over those next few years. I'm going to really look forward to watching him. Cameron Green uh, makes 74. He went along uh, for the ride with Travis Head of uh, taking the English on. Uh, are you seeing the payoff from Cameron Green of all the work he's put in and the, at times, unseemly wickets uh, that he had to uh, endure earlier in the series? Yeah, I mean, it's just exciting that uh, we, we've been saying how we've got to be a little bit patient with his batting because it's going to come good and his bowling has been um, so magnificent. But those runs in the second innings in Sydney... And then I think today was clearly the most significant innings he's played in his short test career because that, when, when um, Labashain got out, that uh, England still had a real sniff of, of really knocking Australia over for um, a very modest total. So for Green to play aggressively, um, you know, ultimately his 74 came from 109. I'm just looking at it now. But for a lot of these innings, he was probably scoring a little bit more quickly than that. And I was really impressed because everyone had been criticising him earlier on in the season of, of being too defensive. He came out on a, on a difficult pitch and played with great intent. And three shots in particular that just uh, just electrifying. He played a, a cut shot, a, a forcing shot off the back foot and a, a cover drive off the front foot that were uh, the sort of three shots that the, the commentators were gobsmacked by. And when he plays those shots... Um, I said it on our podcast tonight that you can you can see why Greg Chappell said he's the most promising young batter he's seen since Ricky Ponting. Well, that's a, uh, that's a big rap, isn't it? But um, we'll move on to England. Uh, five changes for the English, including more uh, bowlers' rotations. Broad, Robinson, Wood, Wokes on a green top. OK, I was feeling excited, but starts well. And then from there, got ugly, as we were saying earlier. Yeah, and it was... Um, 
a little bit difficult to understand, as I said, why they would not um, include Jimmy Anderson because the pitch is just, as you said, it's the you look at that pitch and you just, you can't help but think of Jimmy Anderson. So, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully they did it because maybe he's got a, a niggle or something. If they did it for purely strategic re- um, reasons, then I, I find that a bit um, a bit perplexing. And then, but the other thing that went wrong for them was that Ollie Robinson, who bowled really well, then um, suddenly has a lower back complaint. He bowled an over of. Um, barely medium pace and, and hasn't bowled since. So with Ben Stokes unable to bowl as well, then suddenly their um, their bowling looks very, very thin. Um, and, and as I said, Chris Wokes, uh, you know, maybe they should have given him the new ball. I mean, that sounds ridiculous because they took three for 12, but um, I think he's most effective with the, you know, um, with the reddest of the, well, the pinkest of the pink ball. So um, that was disappointing from, from to see him once again really uh, not go so well. And be- between him and um, Wood, they got absolutely hammered. At one stage, Wood had, um, you know, none for 71 off nine. Yeah. I felt like tweeting out something unkind about, you know, Root probably won't give him the 10th over because he'll have, to, he'll have to find another one somewhere to squeeze in the, the 10, <laughs> implying that it was a 50-over game. And I thought, no, I'll, I'll leave that. But, um, yeah, um, the, one, the one thing he did do well, that um, he hurried up Green a little bit towards the end of Green's innings, bowled a couple of bounces, and then actually got Green out um, playing a slightly unconvincing um, pull shot. So, that was, uh, yeah, it's a disappointing day from England when it started so well. So do, do we take out of it that Jimmy Anderson does have a bit of a niggle or something like that? There's a lot of people looking into, you know, what Jimmy looked like walking off the SCG with that rear guard action that uh, helped save the test match, uh, at least not go to a win for the Aussies to continue on for a 5-0 uh, sort of victory. But 8 mil of grass left on the pitch, uh, you would look at that in the morning and go, I know a guy in our squad who would love to bowl on this, but <laughs> they've gone the other way. They, they've gone with these other guys who now we've seen one probably break down and another two also be quite ineffective. I, I think he must have. And, uh, and that is um, what Atherton and both and both kind of um, uh, implied. Uh, and so, and to be fair to them, I suppose, I was at the ground at Edgbaston in 2019 when Anderson went down with a hamstring injury after the third or fourth over of the, of the match. And, you know, um, let's imagine that he had played in place of Mark Wood. And if he did have some sort of complaint, if that was exacerbated, and if they're in the situation now where um, not only was um, Robinson a question mark, but if, if Anderson couldn't bowl either, it would be an absolute debacle. So I, I understand that you've got to, make sure that players are 100% fit. Um, so, you know, maybe we can give them some leeway, but, um, yeah, I'm sure that they might, they're probably regretting it now. A few tweets uh, getting around today as well about Joe Roots uh, and his tosses as well, uh, winning the ones he didn't want to win, uh, losing the ones he uh, didn't want to lose. <laughs> uh, but uh, he couldn't do anything else after winning the toss today, could he? He had to send the Australians in. I think so, yeah. And... Yes, um, if he'd batted first and England got rolled to 60, <laughs> it wouldn't have been a good look. Um, but, yeah, I think the, the pitch did play better than its um, green-eyed monster look um, might have conveyed. Um, and as I said, I mean, um, hats off to, to, to the curator, um, uh, Marcus Pamplin, the curator down there. And I, I think it's been a, an excellent pitch and produced... As I said, the most attractive days uh, cricket of the Ashes so far. Love that. And uh, Scotty Boland, uh, that's the one I missed uh, earlier as well. He got the thumbs up from the selectors to play this last test. Uh, he had to go through a bit of a uh, fitness test as well. Has he jumped a few guys in the packing order, do you think? Or are they making the most of a hot hand at the moment, the selectors? Well, I think it's very, very... Um, it's, it's a tightly... Um, it's a hard one to call at the moment. And I think that... Um, he'd be very difficult to leave out the way that he's bowling and 
when you look at the uh, potential pitch that was going to be on offer and with his hitting the top of the off stump and challenging the stumps every delivery, I just think you look at that and think he would be very, very difficult to play against. So uh, if everyone was fit, then it would be a, a very difficult decision and I don't think he would make it. I think that they'd go with the old firm. But um, with uh, a couple of the players under injury clouds, but I certainly think he leapt over the top of Michael Nisa and he's probably um, very much neck and neck with, with Jai Richardson now. Let's move over to uh, the New Zealand versus Bangladesh series. Uh, New Zealand getting some daddy runs uh, in this uh, second test versus Bangladesh. Conway and Latham both going big, but it did mean that we didn't get a chance to see Ross Taylor uh, with the blade for very long in this test. He only got to, uh, I think, about 28 runs it was in the end, but he did get to have a moment as uh, he does hang up the uh, black uh, test cap for New Zealand. He got the wicket on the last ball as well, so uh, that was a nice little send-off for Ross, wasn't it? It was lovely, and everyone's making great play of the fact that he finishes with a better bowling average than Richard Hadley and Shane Horne. So, <laughs> not a bad effort. Um, I think he took um, 704 fewer wickets than Shane Warne, though, so that might be um, a little bit of an issue. But yeah, I mean, it's um, he's a player that uh, gradually crept up on me over his career. Uh, and I started to realise just how good he was because um, he retires with some superb numbers. I mean, he, obviously, he's got the most runs ever of a New Zealand test batter and also the most runs ever of a New Zealand one-day batter. His test record will be caught pretty soon by Kane Williamson. But it's all about averages for me. And he has the best average of any New Zealand one-day cricketer ever, averaging 48, and the fifth-best test average, averaging uh, a touch under 45. And so... That's, a, you know, really, really impressive figures. Uh, he got that massive score against Australia, 290 or something at the Wacker mm. in 2015-16. And um, obviously, I've, I've never met him, but hearing Ian Smith, who's um, a great friend of his, talk about him, uh, he just seems like a, one of the nice guys of cricket. And um, to, they, they said he could have retired after New Zealand won the, the World Test Championship, but he's uh, stuck around and... Yeah, getting a wicket with your last ball in Test cricket, it's a, as, as close to a fairy tale as, as often is allowed. Highest run scorer in New Zealand Test history for now, as you said. I don't know if it's serendipity that he finishes alongside Dan Vittori on 112 tests or just luck, but it's a nice honour to share for two iconic New Zealand cricketers. Yeah, it sure is. And New Zealand don't get to play anywhere near as many Test matches as Australia do. Mm. But um, I think sometimes the New Zealand players look around and think, gosh, you know, I started at the same time as this uh, Australian East played. 80 tests, and I've played 50. So to, to play 112 tests, um, you know, they, they don't get many, if any, um, five-test match series. And, um, you know, Australia, maybe not so much in recent years, um, where we've, for various reasons, haven't played as, many, as much test cricket. But normally we, we get up to, you know, 10 or 12 test matches a year. England maybe even more. Um, New Zealand is down on that. So for, for a career to, to have that many test matches is highly impressive. Zach has uh, sent through a uh, question on the Overnight Crowd text line. It says, uh, hi, where does Ross Taylor rate in world cricket? I reckon he's in New Zealand cricket's top five of all time, but uh, where does he rate on a world cricket scale? That's from Zach on the Overnight Crowd text line. Any thoughts on that one, Paul? Yeah, I think that um, the, the old scales, I think, are there for a reason. That it, it always used to be said, if you average 40 or above, in test cricket, you can be regarded as having had a very good career. And once you get to 45, then you're, you're sort of up into that next echelon. And I think with an average just under 45, um, he, he's in the level, I would say, below an all-time grade of the game if you're looking at it from a, 
a world perspective. I think if you're looking at it from a New Zealand perspective, he's certainly a great of the game um, uh, for, for New Zealand. And for, for, for the world level, very similar sort of record to someone like Justin Langer. Um, very, very good player, almost a great of the game. Um, and when you consider how many people have played Test cricket and how few have, have a record as good as that, that's pretty impressive. As far as one-day cricket is concerned, an average of 48 at a... Uh, I can't remember the strike rate off the top of my head, but it's, it's good. Um, you, you, you'd be hard-pressed to argue anything other than that being um, a great of one-day cricket. So, uh, yeah, a record that he can be more than proud of. Let's move over to the South Africa versus India series. Uh, we've seen the result of South Africa winning the series 2-1 over a pretty good India side. They got the uh, win by seven wickets this evening. It's been quite a turnaround from the first test, though, hasn't it? Yeah, um, and full credit to, to South Africa. The um, I think I've said it before on, on your show that I, I'm consistently amazed by how they completely seem to, um, no matter what setbacks they have, they continue to be able to produce a high-class test team. And, you know, from nowhere, they've once again got um, a really impressive bowling lineup. I was looking at the I was looking at the, the head-for-head bowlers before this match, and I just thought, you know, Rabada, Olafir, Janssen, and Ngidi, um actually compare very favourably with um, India's correctly much-vaunted pace attack. So um, for them to get a a 2-1 win, I think it's a really good win for world cricket that we want South Africa to be a stronghold and, you you know, you shouldn't be able to go there and and win easily. Very disappointing for India, you know, for having gone to Australia and won that series, having gone to England and possibly having run that series. We have to wait another six months to find out, but assuming that they managed to get the win there, if they'd also gone to South Africa and won there as well, I mean... A few years ago, to, to, to think of an Indian side doing that was just extraordinary. So they haven't done it, but they've come very close to it because each of these test matches um, that they've lost has been hard fought and they, they, they and they could have easily won. But in each case, South Africa um, got the win. Cracker of a game again. Unfortunately, this time in front of no fans. Uh, Virat back in, concentrating like a man who's met a Rubik's Cube for the very first time. But just before stumps on day three, an already fiery match uh, it absolutely explodes courtesy of DRS. Uh, what did you make of all of this going on, Paul? I'm a bit of a fanatic when it comes to DRS. I am absolutely 100% on the side of the technology. And I always say, um, you know, if you are surprised by Hawkeye, it's because you've got it wrong and Hawkeye's got it right. <laughs> right okay. um, you know, I'm <laughs> a, bit of a, a bit of a zealot, but um, uh, I just think that when you look at the, the sophistication of the technology and all the, the cameras that they've got, and from what I remember of um, trajectory mathematics from year 12 of the dim dark days, it's, it's not actually that hard to calculate where a ball is going to go, especially when you've got all of that, that, that information. The thing that was telling for me was, so, so what happened was um, the um, Elgar was given not out, uh, was given out LBW yep. on the field against the bowling of Ashwin. Uh, he, he threw it upstairs without much hope and... DRS showed that it was just going over the top of the stumps. The Indian players couldn't believe it, nor could Maria Erasmus, the umpire, yeah. who had um, who had given it out. I think he said, you know, that's impossible or something like that. And it was picked up in the stump mic. But they have shown um, a few balls later. There was one that um, passed over the top of the stumps, went to the keeper's gloves, and they've shown the Hawkeye trajectory of both balls at the same time. The one that was shown to be going over the top of the stumps actually pitched slightly shorter. But when you watch it from side on Hawkeye and see those two balls heading down the wicket, you're convinced that (laughs) Hawkeye has got it right. Um, At least I am, as I said, although I'm horribly biased. But either way, the way that they then carried on, 
And I'm a massive fan of Virat Kohli, but I think that the way that he, um, Rahul and Ashwin carried on uh, making... <laughs> it, was, it was a novel way of doing it, like speaking directly into the stump mic to uh, give a message to the, the broadcaster. Um, I'll give them that. It was quite novel, but I thought it was a disappointing look. And I think it is going to be an interesting test case for the power of the ICC because I would imagine that they really should face some sanctions for that. But with India's power in the game, you know, it's the sort of situation that could get ugly. If if Mm. the ICC or the match referee tries to impose some penalties and India don't like it, then um, that's when cricket starts to head in a pretty um, disappointing direction. So Ashwin, who got the wicket uh, that was overturned, says find another win to uh, find another way to win Super Sport. Who are the uh, television uh, broadcaster for this series? KL Rahul saying a whole country against 11, 12 of us, and uh, Virat Kohli saying focus on your team, not the opposition. Trying to catch out people all the time. So I'm having one of those moments at the moment where I've been looking into this topic. I watched the videos of when Sachin Tendulkar was accused of ball tampering in South Africa. The Indian team threatened to walk. Um, I think it was back in 94, 95. It sort of made me realise how long running the campaign or conspiracy, I guess, of a campaign against touring teams has been running in South Africa. Well, you should chat to my co-host of Cricket Unfiltered, Andrew Mentor, because... um (laughs) He's um he's he'd absolutely back you up there. He's um he's pretty fired up about the. Um, I think it still stems from what happened with Australia. That, yeah. Um, when they put, basically put all thirty six cameras to work to try to um, uncover um anything untoward happening, and of course <laughs> they certainly found something. So, um yeah, and I think that um that, be that as it may, I still just don't think that you can excuse the. And there's a, a little bit of other colourful language that Coley said as well, and I just thought. Um, I get the frustration. It was at the moment when the match was um, turning on a, a knife edge. Had that wicket been upheld, then they may well have gone on and won the match. Because yeah. Elgar played a, a pretty crucial innings. I mean, you've got 1.4 billion people um, cheering you on and also ready to turn on you. And Coley's had a, you know, he's been sacked from the one-day captaincy. They, they went out um, the the T20 World Cup in, in straight sets. I can see the pressure and... All of that, but I still think that the way that they carried on, um, although it's entertaining, um, not really, not not a good look, and I think they do deserve some punishment. Yeah, we'll see uh, how it goes because I think they'll definitely uh, at least be called into a meeting, but I'm not too sure if they will uh, get any wax over the knuckles or not. But uh, thank you so much for the time, Paul. We'll see how green that pitch looks on day two. Enjoy the rest of the match. Thanks, Peter. Good on you, mate. That's Paul Dennett uh, joining us on the Overnight Crowd. He is an award-winning cricket podcaster as part of the Cricket Daily alongside Andrew Menzel and also Cricket Unfiltered with Menas and Jalissa Apps, both of whom you will have heard across the SEN network. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91.